0: Stay tuned for additional important disclosure information at the end of this episode.
1: A flock of geese, a school of fish, a drift of piglets, a murder of crows. And whenever you gather a group of portfolio managers, it's called a panel. Welcome to Simple But Not Easy, a podcast about investing and behavioral science by Morningstar Investment Management. I'm Drew Carter. Normally, I would be your host, but today we are picking up some audio from a recent virtual client symposium we held. This session features Marta Norton, our chief investment officer for the Americas, as moderator. She speaks with our panel of portfolio managers about some hypothetical clients and how to find a good portfolio match based on someone's needs. With that in mind, I'll hand it over to Marta to introduce the members of the panel.
2: So for today, we've collected a, a range of portfolio managers from our, across our investment team. We have Dan McNeila, who's a senior portfolio manager and also our co-head of our asset allocation strategies, Mike Cordy, who heads up our U.S. equity strategies, Ricky Williamson, who heads up our U.S. outcome-based strategies, and Hong Cheng, who is a portfolio manager with our group and our income guru. Now, I know as you look at your book of business, it's not just, you know, dollar values that you're seeing or mixes between stocks and bonds. It's also the clients that you're seeing, their particular preferences, their particular financial needs. Um, And so as you take a look at those clients, I know that there's no small amount of calculus that needs to occur to translate your clients into the appropriate portfolio for them. So, for this panel, we want to do some of that work for you and help you with that translation. We've come up with five client portfolio, or excuse me, profiles that we think represent some of the most common profiles we see in the industry today, and then explain why we think a particular portfolio might be the right solution for them, given their particular financial needs and their particular preferences. So, without further ado, to make sure we can get through all five of these, let's start right away with our client profile, Linda. Hong, why don't you go ahead?
3: Sure, thanks, Marta. So let's meet Linda. Linda just turned 65 and just entered her retirement stage. She enjoyed a successful career, which allowed her to side to money every year and accumulate a sizable NASDAQ. And she really hopes to rely on this NASDAQ to support her lifestyle during retirement. Specifically, she hopes to make this account, which is a taxable account, to be a stable source of income. And she plans to withdraw 4% of her initial account value every year to support her retirement, retirement living expenses. And Linda lives a healthy lifestyle. So she hopes that this account can last 20 years while she draw down the asset. And she really want to dedicate this account for supporting her living expenses so it would be nice if there's you know a lot more money like more money left in the account by the end of the twenty year, but that's really not her top priority. And when it comes to the source of the distribution from the account, some people may prefer to sourcing um, sourcing the distribution from income only. That means from dividend payments, uh, from stock holdings, and coupon payments from fixed income holdings. But for Linda. She knows that she will be drawing down the asset over time, so she doesn't really have a preference on where the distribution will be sourcing from. So in summary, Linda's investment goal is to really have this account as a stable source of income and withdraw a fixed amount from the account annually for the next 20 years. Mapping her inve- investment goals to our investment solution, we were proposing retirement income long-range portfolio to meet Linda's retirement income needs. Retirement income long-range portfolio is an income strategy designed for people like Linda who are already in the retirement stage. It has a targeted payout ratio of 4%, which meets Linda's withdrawal needs. And the portfolio is really designed to last um, at least 20 years while supporting that 4% annual withdrawal. And the retirement income series, including this long-range portfolio, take a total return approach, meaning that the withdrawal would come from selling portions of the portfolio, instead of relying on distribution only, which is known as an income approach. And we believe a total return approach will fit Linda's situation uh, better for a few reasons. Uh, first, Linda's account is a taxable account and a total return approach would typically uh, likely to be more tax efficient. Um, just given the portion that's taxed under the total return approach, uh, which is taxed tax as capital gains are typically smaller. And secondly, just given the decumulation nature of the account and also Linda's lack of interest in having a high account value at the end of her time horizon, a total return approach would be more suitable as we did a study recently that shown that historically a total return approach tends to generate a lower ending value than the income approach. And lastly, the stable stream of income that the long-range portfolio is designed to support fits nicely with Linda's income preference. And of course, things can change if Linda wants to consider a short time horizon or if she decide that um, a bigger uh, ending value take a higher priority, she can always um, either consider switching to other strategies within the retirement income lineup, which really target at different time horizon with different withdrawal rates, or she could consider uh, strategies, the income approach, such as our multi-asset income or multi-asset high-income strategies. So that's what we would propose for an income investor like Linda.
2: Great. Thanks, Tong. So as we think about investors and retirement who are looking for withdrawals, our retirement income series is one of the first places we would suggest people take a look. Now let's take a look at a client um, who is earlier in their life cycle. Um, Let's introduce you to our investor, Craig.
4: Yeah. Thank you, Marta. Um, So Craig is a pretty young man in his 30s who, while he outsources the management of his investments, is definitely someone who's engaged with what is going on across capital markets, not just the S&P 500, but also global equity markets, different sectors of fixed income, as well as alternative strategies. So definitely interested and educated in what's going on. Um, But he is young and he has a long-term goal of saving for retirement, which at this point is certainly decades away so definitely looking for capital appreciation over the long haul as he's seeking a large nest egg for when he is done working that being said he is educated in the risks of being fully invested at all times and he is wary of the negative impact that a stock market bubble or other form of market crash could have on his long-term goals a large bear market or other form of meaningful capital loss even if it's in the near future Um, could potentially have significant consequences for the prospects of his nest egg, even if that is far in the future. So he doesn't want to be overexposed to risk assets at the wrong time, but he also does want to benefit from risk assets if they are priced to deliver strong returns. And he believes that that there is value in avoiding, or at least attempting to avoid those pitfalls and take advantage of opportunities through active management, active asset allocation. So for a client like this, um, one option could certainly be our real return growth portfolio. The real return growth portfolio, is designed for capital appreciation and has an absolute return mandate of returning 5% over inflation over 10 years. So we're not trying to outperform some market-based benchmark, but rather review our successes and failures based on our ability to hit that return target over the long-term. While the strategy is definitely geared toward long-term capital appreciation with equity levels at a minimum of 60%, it is a highly flexible strategy that could ramp up that exposure to risk assets when valuations and fundamentals warrant it. And because it is not tied down to market-based benchmarks, if we think there's more value in owning something like South Korean equities rather than European equities, we can own more in Korea than Europe with less regard for what their relative sizes are within global equity markets. Additionally, the flip side of that return target is an explicit goal to mitigate downside risk. So if global equity markets are down 60% and we're only down 50%, that is certainly not a win for us. That's a 50% loss of our clients' money, something that could cripple their personal finances. So when risk assets are at extremes in terms of what they are pricing to return relative to that risk, we don't have to overexpose ourselves to that. That isn't to say that we're trying to precisely time market bubbles or crashes, because that's extremely difficult, if not impossible, thing to do. But if we believe risk assets aren't priced to deliver appropriate returns, we will dial down that exposure and are willing to underperform equity benchmarks for periods of time. Again, at the end of the day, though, Craig is young and he has a long investment horizon, so we will not get too conservative and we will maintain the majority of the portfolio in equities and other risk assets, which should allow for capital appreciation over his investment horizon. And the flip side of dialing down risk in expensive markets is certainly the ability to ramp up our equity exposure to nearly 100% if we think stocks are cheap enough. And if we are able to execute on that, the effect of compounding returns should deliver superior long-term results over time. In terms of when Craig may decide that this isn't the strategy for him, you know, I think there'd probably be two primary catalysts. One for sure, similar to what Hong said, would be if... De- if he was developing shorter term goals as he either ages or wants to focus on saving for a house or other large expense in the short term, then a heavier focus on capital pre- preservation would certainly be warranted. Um, the other main driver of a strategy chain may just be that he finds himself following market-based benchmarks on a regular basis and gets uncomfortable with the tracking error his portfolio is taking relative to those indices. Then he just may be better suited for a more constrained portfolio, strictly for behavioral reasons and just a willingness to stay invested. Um, I may disagree with that decision, but I'd understand that it might be better suited given per- personal biases. Um, and that is all I have for Craig. So I'll hand it back over to you, Marta.
2: Great. Thanks, Ricky. So as we think about um, capital appreciation, we obviously have a range of portfolios, whether you're looking at our equity SMAs or our multi-outset strategies that can meet those capital appreciation goals. So it often comes down to client preferences. Um, in this case, Craig's proclivities kind of um, tilt him toward our outcome-based series and our real, growth, uh, real return lineup. Um, and it also can come down to financial planning. The real return series can make a lot of sense for folks who have a very um, detailed financial plan. Okay, so let's take a look at another investor. Again, earlier in her life cycle, um, or in her investment um, storyline, this is Jessica. Go ahead, Dan.
5: Yes, uh, Jessica is mostly busy building her career and she doesn't have a strong interest in following the ups and downs of the stock market with her free time. That said, she understands investing basics well. She knows it's important to start early and stick to a long-term plan, She also recognizes that her portfolio should be mostly in equities and isn't particularly worried about short-term losses because she won't need this money until retirement. But two things make Jessica's profile different from our other client portfolios. One, beating a benchmark is not her top priority. And two, she wants her investments to do more than maximize her wealth. She cares about sustainability in her personal life choices And she wants her investments to reflect that same perspective. Now, she's heard about ESG investing, but she wants to know that the commitment is genuine. So let's switch slides. And here, it shouldn't surprise you that we're suggesting Jessica choose a portfolio from our ESG asset allocation series. In her case, one of the equity-heavy models would be most suitable, either aggressive growth or growth. These portfolios were built with someone like Jessica in mind. First, they share the same asset allocation and portfolio construction principles that are used with our other multi-asset portfolios. Second is the ESG element. Morningstar as a company has made a commitment to ESG, both from an internal perspective and from a research and investment perspective. Morningstar has expanded its data collection efforts to factors that demonstrate a company's commitment to environmental, social, and governance considerations. Our ESG portfolios use that data to calculate a score for companies, which we then use to compare mutual funds and ETFs across various ESG factors. We combine that quantitative view with our qualitative due diligence, interviewing asset managers to fully understand how they're implementing ESG. For Jessica, the benefits are pretty clear. She's outsourcing the investment decisions to a long-term strategy that can help her reach her financial goals. And she's leveraging the ESG analysis that Morningstar provides to align her investments with her principles. In the as for when to consider another portfolio, well, if Jessica's committed to specific philanthropic efforts or wants to focus on local causes, she may simply not feel that it's necessary to hold an ESG portfolio. In that case, she might be more comfortable with one of our other asset allocation models.
2: Great. Thanks, Dan. We launched our ESG asset allocation models in 2018. And what I think is a a great element of these strategies is something that Dan touched on early on as he was talking about the ESG portfolios. They are very much ESG-oriented, but they don't compromise on what we think is the best way to to run money and to be valuation-driven, to be risk-aware in our portfolio construction. And so the portfolio is really blending that ESG commitment with these portfolios. And we know that for those whose social consciousness aligns with the ESG framework, can be a sensible solution to propose to them. Okay, so let's take a look at another profile. We're jumping backwards to someone who is closer to um, retirement and um, the client profile for Larry.
6: Thanks, Marta. Um, So this is Larry, and here's what we know about him. He's in his 50s and expects to have another decade before retirement. He wants the flexibility of taking cash out of the portfolio in a non-disruptive manner. His investing approach is aligned with Morningstar Investment Management's valuation methodology. So, a separate equity account could make sense for Larry. However, he wants fixed income exposure to soften the impact of swings in the equity market. A laddered bond portfolio would make occasional withdrawals less disruptive. So, here's what we'd suggest starting with the all cap equity SMA. The all cap strategy employs a go anywhere approach as it looks to invest in companies priced significantly below their intrinsic values. There's flexibility to invest in a wide range of categories. It is agnostic to firm size, so it can invest in small caps all the way to mega caps, across a variety of styles, from dividend payers to non-dividend payers, from deep value to growth stocks. So we think that all cap equity SMA in this case, should provide the capital appreciation that Larry is looking for. Now, if Larry wants a more global strategy with companies domiciled outside the U.S., the International Equity ADR would fit that need as it invests in non-U.S. stocks trading as ADRs. Now, for the fixed income solution, we'd suggest the Morningstar corporate bond ladder. The corporate bond ladder Diversifies across maturities and credit profiles in order to generate current income and regular maturities. Builds an equally weighted portfolio of high-quality corporate bonds that are typically held to maturity or sold as they reach, reach the minimum maturity for the portfolio. Now, because this strategy allocates in stair-step fashion between 1 and 10 years, this will allow Larry to withdraw cash when a bond matures and helps avoid selling securities. Now, if Larry is more interested in stability than withdrawals, he could go with intermediate government, separately managed account, or SMAs populated with ETFs or mutual funds. Putting this all together, um, uh, we suggest an account that is comprised of 60% all-cap equity and then 40% corporate bond ladder. Now, the interesting thing here is this can be combined in one account using the Morningstar multi-asset strategy tool. You think this combination addresses the need for capital appreciation, stability, and regular withdrawals. Now, of course, the 60-40 split between equity and fixed income can be adjusted by the advisor in the future if Larry's risk tolerance changes or perhaps as he gets closer to retirement. So our suggestion for this case is, is just one possibility um, in terms of this client profile. There's alternative solutions to consider as well. Uh, as I mentioned before, the international ADR SMA for non-domiciled U.S. stocks is if, if that's more appealing if you want more of an international equity exposure. Or of course, there's other choices within our lineup of equity SMAs as well. And then on the fixed income side, uh, another consideration could be the multi-asset portfolio solutions. And one option there would be the multi asset income portfolio and that's and that concludes our uh, analysis of Larry's situation
2: Great. And just a few points I wanted to make here. One is that this is what, again, be making use of our multi-strategy tool, allowing someone to combine portfolios all in one account. Um, and then also, just as we think about um, the SMAs, whether it's on the equity side or the fixed income side, we know a lot of clients have or get a lot of utility out of actually owning the securities. And so that's something that just as we think about the behavioral um, elements or the tendencies of clients, um, these portfolios can really resonate with them. Okay, so let's take a look at one last profile. And in this case, it's a couple, which we know that um, a lot of times you're, you're dealing with two personalities when you think about portfolio construction. So let's introduce you to Jane and Rich.
5: Yep, so Jane and Rich are a fairly typical couple in their 50s. They've been saving for retirement for a while now and have made a lot of progress accumulating assets. Retirement for them, which at one point seemed too far into the future to think much about. Is now looming larger. And they have two basic challenges that a lot of people in their situation face. One, they haven't yet achieved their savings goal. And two, they're worried about losing what they've already saved up as their balances have become substantial and they recognize that they have less time to make up for losses if the stock market should take a substantial hit. And Jane follows the markets pretty closely. And she would be disappointed if their portfolio wasn't tracking a typical stock bond balanced type of benchmark. Rich is uh, different though. He's more focused on the dollar value of their accounts and isn't as concerned about how the market is doing in any particular week or month and isn't particularly worried about keeping up with the market as long as they're making progress toward their goals. So overall though, their goals are shared by many in their age group They want that capital appreciation in the next 10 plus years to help them get to the point they want to get to, but they also want a strategy that accounts for market correction and doesn't take too much risk with the assets that they've saved so far. So on the next slide, we present the first of two options for Jane and Rich. This one is the income and growth mutual fund asset allocation portfolio. This portfolio's mandate is to deliver moderate levels of capital appreciation while mitigating the possibility of lasting losses by keeping assets about 60% in bonds, leaving 40% in stocks. This portfolio is a benchmark relative strategy, which should suit Jane's desire to track a benchmark fairly closely. Historically, the stock bond split here hasn't moved more than a few percentage points away from the benchmark level at any point in the past five years. Sector and country allocation decisions are also made with the benchmark in mind. But this portfolio also offers something for rich. His major concern is capital preservation. U.S. stocks have had a great run over the past 10 years and now they look pricey by many valuation metrics. The best way to guard against losses in the stock market is simply by limiting your allocation of stocks. Yes, they may need to accept the possibility of a lower rate of return, but that might be a trade-off they're willing to make. Now, if they want to tilt more more heavily towards capital appreciation, one of their key goals, then they should consider moving up to the moderate growth portfolio, which has a neutral target of 60% in stocks and 40% in bonds. This option increases their equity exposure while still providing a considerable chunk to those volatility dampening bonds. Um, So that's it for this choice. And Ricky Williamson, I think is gonna take over next to highlight a different strategy to address Jane and Rich's needs.
4: Thanks, Dan. Um, I once again will try to sell the merits of a more unconstrained approach. so with Craig, the younger client who is focused on his retirement nest egg relatively far in the future, um, I talked about the real return growth portfolio and the virtues of having a flexible approach within the capital appreciation and long-term growth framework. Um, but there's one thing that I may not have been about very clear about when I talked about that, so I just wanted to revisit it. Um, when we think about mitigating downside risk with the flexible approach, um, this isn't just about making sure to avoid a large negative number on our performance report and it really isn't just about having a smoother investor experience as markets gain and lose volatility though that's certainly a part of it Um, it's really the philosophy that if you are able to protect on the downside and avoid riding the market down to its lows and then you also have that flexibility to ramp up your risk taking when prospective returns become attractive um, you can have an enhanced total returns over an entire investment cycle Um, and with that in mind in some ways 2020 was like a full cycle at warp speed. Um, and because of that, we can observe sort of the virtues of a flexible approach in a relatively short amount of time, not just in respect to risk adjusted returns, but in terms of the absolute level of total returns. So for the calendar year, the S&P 500 returned over 18%, MSC Equity was over 16%. So a logical deduction would be that the portfolios with the highest average equity levels for the year would deliver the strongest total returns for the year. But what happened was that the flexibility to protect on the downside and then participate on the upside by altering the risk profile of the portfolio can really end up delivering higher returns over the cycle, even if that more flexible portfolio has lower average equity levels. So in 2020, the real return growth portfolio never went below that 60% equity minimum I mentioned, and the real return flexible portfolio entered the year at just over 40% equity. And yet the real return flexible portfolio delivered higher total returns than the growth portfolio, even in a calendar year where equities delivered very strong performance. So in that regard, we don't view downside protection as just one side of a coin, um, but rather a way to protect a base level of capital, which then allows you to capture compounded returns as we enter the recovery phase of a cycle. And so how that applies to clients like Jane and Rich is that if they are willing to consider a more unconstrained portfolio um, that seemingly will fit with Rich's sensibilities, um, strategies like real return flexible or even real return conservative, that really do try to pair the benefits of capital preservation with capital appreciation could be a perfect fit. So if you aren't retiring tomorrow and you still do want to grow your nest egg, but you you also do not have kind of that very long-term investment horizon like Craig, and therefore you'd be really financially harmed by a large capital loss on your portfolio. Um, an unconstrained and risk-aware approach like real return flexible portfolio can potentially be the best of both worlds if executed properly. In terms of when to consider change strategies, um, we're out of time, so I'll say never. It's perfect. Um, but no, I mean, I think it would just be similar to the other themes that people have mentioned. You know, as your investment timeframes change and your priorities change, then Jane and Rich, you know, as they approach retirement or enter retirement would be more suited for one of the multiple strategies to focus on capital preservation or retirement income. Um, So I think with that, I'll just hand it back over to Marta to wrap it up.
1: Actually, I'll interrupt that pass back and wrap it up. Thanks to Marta and her team for today's conversation. And thank you for listening. If you'd like to read more about our portfolios, check out mp.morningstar.com. That's mp.morningstar.com. There you can read our investment commentaries as well as review our entire portfolio lineup. And if you want to get in touch, please send us an email at simple@morningstar.com. At Thanks again for listening. Bye for now.
0: This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of publication. Such opinions are subject to change. No Morningstar entity, including Morningstar Investment Management and Morningstar Research Services, shall be responsible for any trading decisions, damages, or other losses resulting from or related to the content presented. Morningstar makes no representation as of the completeness or accuracy of the information presented past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investments are subject to investment risk, including possible loss of principal. Individuals should seriously consider if an investment is suitable for them by referencing their own financial position, investment objectives, and risk profile before making any investment decision.